Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at Netflix's new action film, The Old Guard. We're also going to take a look back at HBO Max's Unforgiven, the 1992 uh, postmodern Western film starring and directed by Clint Eastwood. We got together at Andy's place and watched it. We all wore face masks the whole time. Kinda. Uh, and and we're going to talk about that movie. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about Christopher Nolan's new film. There's been some news around Tenet. And before we get to all of that, we need to, of course, cover the news. Our first story this week, the Avengers Endgame directors are doing a new James Bond-esque spy film for Netflix and stars a couple of very, very big stars. Andy, what do you know about this? So this is a big new action spy thriller thing uh, from Netflix and the Russo brothers, who of course did Avengers Endgame um, and a couple of the other Avengers films. It, it stars Chris Evans and Ryan Gosling, which there may be just too much man in in this movie. Um, and one of them plays a burned out or a burned um, CIA person who's a, now a gun for hire and then he's pursued by the other one. I can't remember which one is playing which role, but it's a kind of spy versus spy setup. Yes, uh, called tentatively The Gray Man. Uh, this is based on a series of best-selling books from an author named Mark Greeny. I've definitely never read those um, or heard of Mark, but I'm, I mean, he's a bestseller, so I'm sure he's something. And it follows an ex-CIA operative turned killer for hire. And that'll be Gosling. I think he's our main character. And he's pursued by an oil, old colleague, uh, by which is Chris Evans. So they're kind of friends-ish. Uh, it's described to be a, a, a Bourne, Jason Bourne, Bourne identity kind of story, or maybe even something uh, James Bond esque. And what's most surprising about this, besides the star power behind it, of course, is the budget. $200 million and change. That wow. is not nothing. Yeah, Netflix is known for writing big checks, which is mentioned in this article, and that's why the Russo brothers like working with with Netflix, um, because the success of your film doesn't really matter because you get paid up, up front. Now, they are hoping to make more films, turn this into a franchise, a universe of some sort, so they definitely want to make a great first film so that we can get more. I guess I'm surprised by anything here. It's first seeing somebody like Ryan Gosling in a Netflix original. I don't know if he's... Uh, made that leap yet so I think this will be his first big one uh, and also Chris Evans working with the Russo brothers again um, I'm sure he doesn't have anything against the directors but as far as I know he's definitely trying to distance himself from the Marvel Universe he's kind of done with the Captain America character so I'm a little surprised to see he's just jumping on board with another one by the same directors of like Captain America the Winter Soldier and and Avengers Endgame where he essentially I, plays yeah. another Captain America type figure I mean a little bit yeah it's it's probably going to be something similar I, I can appreciate that he's going to be a bit of an antagonist right maybe I don't know he's taken another another some roles recently that are kind of like that but um, what it's worth it sounds cool right it certainly sounds better than some recent Netflix originals that we've watched <laughs> right no comment no comment no comment and we'll probably get to those in our next review uh, our next story China is going to begin reopening movie theaters Andy have they already kind of tried to do this or, or yes they, the they, they've tried to open in several areas and have ended up kind of closing down and reopening so they are trying to reopen again the pandemic does seem to be much better under control over there however there are a lot of caveats um, so it's only theaters that are in low risk areas or places where uh, you know they have very few if if not zero cases of the coronavirus um, as well as they can only be 30% full theaters, um, whereas here, I think we're at 50% full. Um, no concessions, 
um, which is a big bummer. I mean, that's part of why we go to the <laughs> the movies. It's part of um, why I go to the movies. Yeah, yeah, and then part of, and then you know, just the whole. Uh, you know, extra sanitation and social distancing and all of those things as well. So they're opening, but with heavy, heavy restrictions. Yeah, ventilation screening halls must be improved. The halls between theaters, they're wiping down armrests and 3D glasses between every show. Mandatory masks. The, the no concessions is definitely a bit of a surprise, right? Because American theaters would never, never once open, like entertain that idea. That's kind of where no, they... Yeah, I mean, that's a huge part of their bread and butters. Yeah, um, so that's definitely surprising. I'm also interested to see what kind of films they're getting. Um, there's definitely some movies that had come back recently things like Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone 1917 Little Women um, what's most interesting to me and maybe this is just a stock image but uh, this one up here on this Variety article we're reading this from uh, there's definitely some winners and losers on this image uh, losers <laughs> would include X-Men Dark Phoenix and the new Men in Black film uh, starring Chris Hemsworth those movies are terrible but it also has Spirited Away the Studio Ghibli film so you know, it's interesting to see how different regions do it. It's also interesting to see what they're opening with, right? What's what's going to land over there? And I think those films were, I guess, more popular than they were here. So uh, why not, I guess? Any hot takes on, on reopening where it might be safe? Andy? Uh, well, like we said, there's not... You can't just have a day when you go to 100%. It's got to be slow and it's got to be gradual. And that's really painful for theaters to do, but that's kind of the only way. Also, it's worth noting that... Uh, films will be limited to two hours so nothing over two hours will be shown at this at this time mm, so they can cram those screenings in right like shorter movies means you get more show times um i mean that seems reasonable I, I don't think any of those things seem outlandish the only one that really surprises me is concessions um because that's not how theaters here work um but hey to each their own i hope it works out i know they've tried to open some theaters over there before so i hope these stick you know i, I don't really know what their numbers are like but um Here's hoping. Uh, our last story before we jump into the old guard. Dave Franco is playing Vanilla Ice in a biopic. Uh, this article says, take all the time you need. Um, <laughs> Andy, what do you know about oh, this story? Oh, gosh. So Vanilla Ice, the uh, one-hit wonder rapper from the 90s, is getting his own full-fledged biopic, which makes no sense to me. Like, because he was, I mean, he's a, essentially a joke in the uh, history of hip hop. And it's, yeah. ama it's amazing that someone, you know, like Dr. Dre or Eminem or Snoop Dogg or, you know, one of these kind of more seasoned veterans of, of rap and hip hop hasn't gotten a biopic. But for some reason, we're getting one about a one hit wonder. Anyways, <laughs> that's the end of rant. Um, it, it will focus more on, I guess, the character of uh, Robert Van Winkle, who is a uh, vanilla ice's stage name um him growing up he's actually from the dallas area uh, he dropped out of high school was selling cars somehow got into rap music became uh you know kind of overnight sensation and eventually also sold out um so that that there is a lot there and they do plan to play it a little bit more seriously something like the disaster art they're comparing it very much to that about getting into the artist and the character and not necessarily you know vanilla ice as a rap star or a rap you know influencer because he's absolutely not but he's but his story is interesting you it, it is this rags to riches story he does you know i'm sure they're going to cover the um you know the big lawsuit with uh, Queen, Queen. over the the baseline to um, Ice Ice Baby. Ice, Ice Ice Baby, thank you. Yeah. And also, you know, there's some interesting things like uh, rap 
Mo- early rep mogul Suge Knight uh, threatened like threatened Vanilla Ice's life in, in order to get him you know extortion essentially to get him to sign over rights. Um, right. so, so there is some really interesting stuff kind of in the background of this, but it's still at the end of the day it's a one hit wonder that's getting a biopic, which is kind of ridiculous. I think what's most intriguing to me is the casting, right? Dave Franco as Vanilla Ice is. And not bad. This, this article has like the two of them side by side in a photo. Like, okay, sure. He didn't quite have the jawline, but he's definitely got the charisma. So I can appreciate that. And uh, also the tone. Um, this says here they're going to do something more like the disaster artist, like you said, or even something like I, Tanya. Um, a re-examine, a re-examination of a 90s punchline. That's probably the best way you could take it, right? Yeah. Like play it straight. And, and similar to the disaster artist, yeah, look at somebody who is basically viewed as a joke but does not view themselves that way or maybe has to overcome that in, in themselves. I think that's intriguing. What uh, what really I don't think is going to work is, one, it's about Vanilla Ice, so you're going to have to have some pretty, pretty incredible marketing to make people want to go see this. And two, just the title. Like, shouldn't this be called, like, Ice or, like, Ice Ice Baby, right? Like, yeah, should, something, something. Should, Ice has got to be in there. Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocketman are both named after, like, the titular songs <laughs> of these bands. Melted ice cream, you know. Right, yeah, something something like that. And to be fair, <laughs> I don't know a lot about Vanilla Ice. Um, I'm not sure anybody should. So I think Andy <laughs> probably knows more about him than me. I, I mean, are you are you interested in this, Andy? Because, I mean, we'll probably go see it for the show. But just as, as a fan, as a fan of the genre, as a fan in, of music. Like I said, I in mean, some ways, in one in one way I am, like the, the kind of background of this guy, pr- probably pretty interesting. Him as just like a musical f- figure and, in, and musical influence, not at all. Yeah. Like there's way bigger names from the 90s that, that you could be doing. Yeah, I mean it'll it'll be something. I like that apparently uh, Mr. Van Winkle is actually involved in the production. Dave Franco said that he has been talking to him, and conversing with him, and kind of getting to know him. So I think that's good, right? That's that's probably a strong start. Elton John was involved in Rocket Man, so we'll see. I don't think we have a confirmed director. Um, yeah, in in a lot of ways we might get a, a a kind of a different biopic because we we we've talked about before how they are so cliche and so kind of like paint by color now you kind of like oh the rise to fame oh their descent into debauchery and drugs and their eventual like recovery and so i think we might actually get something different with someone who literally only have had one and a half like hit songs i'm curious how do you think they're gonna play ice ice by baby is he innocent or did he rip it off i'll bet he plays it innocent in the film like oh he came up with it all on his own and and for sure yeah, right. Like, they'll make him a bit of an anti-hero, And it's like, dude, it would be so much more candid if he heard it and was like, let's use that baseline, bro. Like, just totally go 100%, wear it on your well, sleeve, that- and then lie to the public. Like, that would make us feel intimate with you as the audience. That would be cool. Well, that was also the part in, in like, the, the larger history of his- hip-hop when everyone started sampling. And, but it, it like, wasn't part of uh you know they didn't have laws and contracts like now if you use a sample you you know you're gonna get take all take care of all the legal stuff before when it was first getting started people were just taking the song like other people's samples and then using it in their songs and it's just what everyone was doing and no one was really concerned or you know thinking about the legal ramifications um, until there were you know some major lawsuits uh, with this being one of them that people were like okay we got to make sure you know we pay royalties and get get all that hammered out because now i I think queen actually gets 50 percent of that song from you know now till kingdom come does 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 david bowie get anything do you know 
Or was he just I, a guest star on the Queen track? I, like, how I don't, that... I don't know. But that's, I mean, mm-hmm. another good example is the uh, the the Puff Daddy song. Uh, I'll be, I'll be watching you or waiting for you, whichever one. Uh, he ripped that off from from Sting, and now Did Sting he really? gets he Sting didn't pay for that. Sting gets oh all the God. all the proceeds from that, like hundred percent. Right. So it's important. It's important to get all that sorted out before you release the songs. Yeah, when when the part you're using is basically your chorus or your bass line and builds your whole track, um, you got problems. Don't don't go toe to toe with Queen and David Bowie. That's the that's the answer, I think. Uh, and with that, um, that's the Vanilla Ice biopic. We'll probably end up watching it because who doesn't want to see um, that train wreck? Uh, speaking of train wrecks, <laughs> we should jump into our first film. <laughs> Uh, Andy, I'm so excited to talk about this. You're going to be taking the summary. Please take it away. The old guard. Who are you? You can call me Andy. So this is a new action comic book inspired uh, film starring Charlize Theron that came out on Netflix about a week ago or so. Um, She plays... Uh, Andy, myself, Andy, um, who's the leader of a group of immortal warriors who have been kind of living through history, fighting the good fight. Um, and now kind of in modern day, they've all more or less kind of, uh, uh, they're very cynical about what they're doing. Are they actually helping anything? Um, and they're kind of, they they essentially have super healing. They're a bit like Wolverine. They get, they get shot up or cut or they break bones and their body just kind of recovers. Um, and so there's lots of action in the film and uh, we meet a new kind of member uh, named Nile, played by Kiki Lane. Um, who's a young uh, black soldier and she she gets killed early on but she comes back to life and she's like what's happening and she eventually gets found by the old guard and gets brought in and gets explained and the film really deals a lot with um, kind of the cost of immortality or the problems with immortality like what happens when you're around for a thousand years like you know you're like you're you have to watch all your friends and family die and a, a lot of these kinds of grapples with these questions as well as with you know some sort of international plot to uh, capture them and clone them, or you know use uh, unlock whatever immortality powers they have. So that's our setup for the old guard. Zach, what'd you think? Um, that was a great premise. Uh, this very glowing. I'm excited to talk about this um, because I I have an opinion about this movie that nobody else that I know <laughs> has seen it has. Um, everybody I've talked to about this film said it was okay. Um, it's all right. It's not that bad. I disagree. This movie is terrible. <laughs> it is almost laughably bad. And I say almost, not that it's kind of good, but almost bad. I mean, it's so bad you almost don't laugh. I, I didn't like this movie at all. I, I I don't like a lot about it. I think it's incredibly dull. And the worst thing a film can be is boring. And this movie is incredibly boring. It is low budget. They did very little effort to actually stretch that. Um I don't like it. I don't like this movie. And and I wish I didn't feel this way. I think I'm sour on it prob- probably more so than I need to be. So I think talking to Andy about this will, will bring me around a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, but let's jump right into it, Andy. Um, what what Where do you want to start this? Um, well, why don't we just get off the bat with the plot, uh, the main premise, sure. uh, immortality that we've seen, you know, things like this before, lots of action. Like they, they play this group of soldiers who, you know, are, are do-gooders or, or who have kind of, you know, been, been through history. You see pictures mm-hmm. of Charlie Theron in, in the civil war or things like that. Um, and then they kind of have this like ESP or, or something that when they, they sense that there's another one of them. And so they have to go and, and find, uh, 
the other people that are like them that are you know can't be killed um so like i said we we have this kind of setup of they're like an extra military organization that tries to you know save the world as much as they can and like i said they early on we find a new member who has to kind of learn the ropes of what it means to be immortal at first she rejects everything thinks they're crazy and eventually comes to realize that she in fact can't be killed right um i think the plot is one of the stronger points of this film i think the three strong points and i'll go through these as we reach each one of these sections are the plot um, Charlize Theron and uh, I know it's Theron, but I, you know, for the sake of the, I'm just going to pick one and run with it for the sake of this review. I'm saying Charlize Theron. I'm sorry if I'm saying it wrong. I've heard it both ways. I'm just going with it. And, and the action uh, and the action. None of those things are particularly outstanding, but they're the best of what's here. Um, and, and you're right. The plot is at least mildly entertaining, right? At, le- at least for a Netflix film, you have people who are immortal. Think of it, like you said, like Logan, except a group, right? Instead of one person who's immortal and heals, you have like six or seven, I forget how many are here, and also a new recruit uh, fresh out of the army. These people have lived for a very long time, as expressed in a few brief flashbacks. Uh, they they have always been this kind of secret society of underground do-gooders who are trying to keep the world on track, and as explained at the beginning of the film, essentially failing miserably because the world isn't getting any better. Um, and they have to deal with that, right? Over time, seeing the people that they love pass away and having to stick around with each other and they, they don't really like each other a whole lot, but they, you know, they're the only immortals. Um, and also seeing the world around them change and feeling like they don't have a whole lot of impact in that. Like, I think that's really good stuff from an overarching plot. To be more specific, uh, we have our new recruit who is kind of inducted into this group, whether she likes it or not, because as they explained, well, you're just one of us now, so they're... Um, they, they find her through magic ESP forces because we can't just explain how somebody's found, like they just sense each other across the globe. And, and they're dealing with a essentially a rogue millennial pharmaceutical CEO who wants to, who, who's basically heard rumors about them and wants to discover this group and harness their power to, to make the world a better place, um, which is kind of what they're doing. And at least in passing, that is an interesting point that they are trying to make the world better and the bad guys are trying to make the world better and they they're just trying to figure out their own way to do it um so yeah like i i I would say that's one of the stronger points of the film and i think i've done a fine job of of dressing that up in the best way i can uh gonna talk about characters andy sure and i also wanted to mention that we we get some flashbacks of their time as you know a hundred years ago 500 years ago them fighting in you know ancient whatever um as well in interspersed with the rest of the plot um so yeah we our characters our standouts are of course charlie's there in the uh the lead and then a newcomer uh kiki lane who plays nile the the newly the newest member the person former soldier former marine and then we have what's it three others yeah the, the, there's three others um booker joe and nikki who are three other men who who are in the they're kind of forgettable uh, but they're charming to me. The, the best parts of this movie are actually not the action. Like when they're kind of sitting around talking about the woes of, of long-term immortality. I, like, I can tell you why that is. When we talk about the action, I'll tell you why that's not the best part, but go ahead. Okay. Uh, but that's where I, where I thought was a little bit, it got a little bit more interesting uh, to me. Cause it, it, it thinks about some things you may not have thought about when it comes to something like immortality. Right. And, and, and you're right from a, from a character perspective, that is, 
one of the stronger things here because we have these characters who are talking about how you know they've really had to had to struggle over time and and that's definitely where i had a bit of a disconnect um one of many with this film uh they're just they're just talking about it they just talk about how hard it is to lose somebody and i'm like you know a better film would have shown that typically films show things and tell things and and there are a few flashbacks um, but it'll be Charlize Theron and one other person out in a field wearing a costume they pulled out of the wardrobe department on the studio they're in. <laughs> yeah, it, does, uh, it does not look convincing at all. Right. No, not at all. And and they'll rub a little dirt on her face like, oh, you're in ancient China or something or you're in the Old West. And every time they're outside in a flashback, it's always the same setting. Like all the, all, all the, the flora and fauna are the same. It's spring in California <laughs> where they shot this film. <laughs> And like they're just on like a backlot behind the studio, and like it just it's just not convincing. So like even the few flashback scenes you have look cheap, and that doesn't help it. And and there's definitely some budgetary issues with what's happening here. I think that's a small example of how it was used ineffectively. The flashback stuff didn't work for me. And then when they're talking about it, that's good. But like you're just sitting around a campfire talking, you yeah. know? Like I'm looking for something a little bit more profound. You're you're immortal for God's sake. Show me that. I want to feel that, you know? And and. That just doesn't happen. They, they, that was not a priority when they shot the old guard. That was not something they focused on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, that I, I like. I wish they had done more with the uh, the flashback stuff or the stuff that's supposed to take place in different uh, periods. Yeah, and our, our our immortals are are relatively interesting. We have we have Charlize Theron and and her kind of cohort named Booker, who are this kind of almost like an odd couple this guy and gal kind of get along kind of don't they're kind of rivals you've got uh, joe and nikki who are definitely in a relationship i think right yeah yeah That's, yeah, yeah they're, they're a couple um yeah uh and there's some good scripting around them and and how they bounce off each other because they're a couple and they're immortal and that's kind of neat um you've got i never get his name right chiwetel ejiofor ejiofor yeah ejiofor forgot uh, he was in this <laughs> yes uh he plays like a, a i think a billionaire that's like bankrolling the bad guy uh who is our pharmaceutical ceo played by harry melling who was most recently in the ballad of buster scruggs yep um harry melling is actually a lot of fun uh i think he I'm not sure why he took this role, or really why anybody big took this took, took this movie on. Um, <laughs> that's, that's but he, he just plays this cringy millennial CEO who wears this goofy like suit jacket with a hoodie thing on it that like nobody would take anybody seriously when they wear. And he's like, "We're gonna harness the power of the immortals in the next 90 minutes before this movie's over." Um, it's it's just like it's just dull like they're not doing anything outstanding i think the idea of a billionaire character is kind of cool but he's just boring you forgot he was in the movie yeah, for he, he's like x yeah x cia and he's he's invested because he lost a loved one and so he's trying to also unlock unlock the uh you know secret to immortality right uh i want to talk about the action we should jump into that because we've mm-hmm. talked a bit about the script um go ahead some of this yeah some of the action is is, is pretty good a lot of it is just okay and then it's also just similar to extraction you kind of get overwhelmed with it and it just kind of becomes boring yeah um i can i can very quickly explain why the action is boring in this because your characters are immortal and have no vulnerabilities they're not at risk at all um almost every gunfight in this film is our characters walking into a room and shooting at people and then the other people shoot back and they don't try to hide or anything they just stand out in the open and get shot a few times and then shoot the bad guys and if they get, sh- get shot too many times they fall down for 10 seconds the bad guys forget they're immortal and then they just hop back up and keep shooting 
there's no tension. They're not, they don't have to hide. They don't have to like get behind something. Even in like Netflix's extraction, Chris Hemsworth had to like duck and hide. And when he got stabbed, it hurt. None of that matters here. Our characters are, are literally invincible. And like, at least in something like Logan, at least in like X-Men, you've got Wolverine who is incredibly visceral and that's your action. That's your tension. He's, he's rage incarnate and he is tearing people up. That's his thing. This, you don't have that. They're just they're just kind of like oh we're shooting the bad guys like and, which is good but there's just no tension there's there's no meat to it you know there's no pulp right and and there is a small kind of subplot where or not subplot but issue where they can lose their immortality but it's really just it's really random like there's no like tell signs there's nothing that triggers it it's just kind of like it you, one day you you're just not immortal and so that that's kind of really cheap and, and does it work but but like you said it, it gives our action stars no vulnerable no vulnerability you yeah know, aside from just being captured right so like every every gunfight is just kind of i mean it's not dull um they, they definitely do spice it up i'll talk about that in a second but i you're you're right like they, there's just no there's no stakes um the stuff that does work a lot like a character like wolverine is going to be the more physical action which Charlize theron gets most of those parts uh she has so our characters have these like old weapons they carry around I think because it makes for a cool movie poster, honestly. Um, she's got this goofy-looking round axe thing that's never really explained, I don't think. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's like they're they're taking, like, you know, battle tactics from their thousand years of being alive. Uh, yeah, right. And and that's that's neat. And and, and those, those set pieces make for the most interesting stuff because that's when we have our actors actually, like, flipping around, swinging stuff. Like, that's cool. But as far as, like, just the gunfights go, like, just really really dull and 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 you're right like the, the way that they lose their powers sometimes but it's indeterminate really how or why is right up there with like how they find the new recruit they just like sense it it's like it's like the force in star wars like it's overused and it's not it's 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 magic they, they do it through magic that's the answer <laughs> yeah. and like that sucks why am like, i more mortal because i am yeah right why am i not immortal anymore because it's convenient for the plot like mm. that's that's not good like you need a little bit more you know you little bit a bit more substance in this film for a two-hour film i want substance by god yeah yeah and we should talk about it's two hours <laughs> It is like all Netflix, every Netflix movie is like 15 to 20 minutes too long. You make this, you make this a tight 90, tight hundred minutes. You get a much better experience. Yep. It should have been 95 minutes with credits. (laughs) Like just, just bust through it like that. That would have been good. Making it two hours just makes it feel long. And you end up with, I mean, you do get those, those poignant scenes when they're talking about how being immortal is hard because you have to live forever rats. Um, but like it's interspersed with stuff. that's just kind of dull. Um, and, and part of the reason it's so dull, I think is because of the way it's shot. We should talk about that. Um, do you, do you have any thoughts on this? Cause I'm, I was much more caught up in the cinematography. No, no, not, a, not at all. <laughs> Forget, okay. Forgettable to me. Right. Okay. Well, for, for those of you watching on Facebook, uh, because we do the show live on Facebook, um, the trailer is running over me talking. So this might help illustrate some of my points because I worry they may get lost in just the audio, but I'll do my best to explain. This movie is primarily shot on sound stages. They had like, four other sets and they had like one or two exterior sets that's it they had a thing in the desert which was cool they had some stuff in fields they've got some stuff in a corporate office that kind they kind of dressed up to look like a pharmaceutical company and they've got closed sound stages uh uh, the film opens with Charlize theron meeting her old contacts in what appears to be like the middle east and like 
It's all shot from really far away with long lenses. So it looks like you're you're in like a big space, but like you can't see the out, you can't see the outside or any horizon. It's all walls behind her because they're on a soundstage. Right. Like yeah. they're very obviously on a soundstage and they wheeled in sets from a better film and they're just <laughs> shooting on it. And then like like most of the film is that way. I'm not kidding. Like keep an eye out and on how often you actually see exterior shots versus what you think may be exterior shots. And they're almost consistently on a soundstage, which is fine. You, you can make good movies on soundstages. That's not the issue. The issue is almost the whole film is like shaky cam. They, they hardly ever popped a tripod for this movie, which means they're doing everything in like one to three takes. It's super fast. They're probably feeding actors lines before they get on stage. Like they're just busting through it. And it makes it feel like they shot this thing in like a, in, in two weeks. And, and they just, they just rattled off their stuff. Um, Chiwetel Ejiofor, I think he has maybe three locations his character appears in. So he was probably on set for like a day, two uh-huh. days. I don't even think he gets a costume change. Like they, That's they true. just, <laughs> dude, same, same like suit every time. it's, yeah, same with Harry Melling. I think he's got two jackets maybe, and they both have the same goofy hood on him. And that's it. Charlize Theron almost wears the same outfit the whole film. Um, at one point at the end of the movie, when she's not immortal, and I, I realize this is a bit of a spoiler, spoiler. but I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> she's offered she's offered a, a a a bulletproof vest, and she doesn't take it. And I'm like, why? Would it be too hard for her to like throw that on for the role? Like, just yeah. There, you know. there, there's this whole thing that, that that it's like when it's your time, it's your time. When it's my time, it's my time. And so that's why she doesn't put on the vest. Which again, well, it's like, well, your time's right. going to be a whole lot sooner if you don't yeah. put on the vest. The the lighting is incredibly boring. It's all super even softbox light softbox lights. I mean, if you again, if you're watching on Facebook, you can see all the lighting is super even wash. There's nothing dynamic. There's no like light coming in over here from a window, and then some. It's all just nice and even, nice and safe. We got no. Not gonna do anything hard. No curts. The music. I realize I'm going too far here. Exactly. The the music in it. There's no composition. It's all licensed tracks from like Spotify's indie hits playlist that they just roll over action scenes like with lyrics because they didn't have a composer to put anything together. Like it just. It just feels like they wasted whatever budget they had um, getting stars Charlize because Theron. they knew everything yes, went because to they, Charlize Theron. Yes, because they knew that would sell and people would click on it if they had her face and her name on it, and and that's where they went. And like, it just feels like a cheap Netflix vehicle, which I guess is what these films are. But anyway, I'm I'm, I'm yeah. about about done with my rant. Sorry, Andy. Go, go ahead, pull me out. Of so this. and this, I mean, this has been a big big hit for Netflix. They they reported some really high numbers and viewership, uh, so it's resonating with the people but yeah like you said it's in a long line of fairly you know mediocre netflix films that are you know i almost feel like this should be a tv show it almost feels like it'd be better as a tv series I think so. honestly yeah I, I think you either should have done this in like 90 minutes or you should have drawn it out to like six episodes of like a little thing on its own and i think it would have been a lot more powerful um either way but where it's at now structurally like it's just dull it's predictable. Like it, it doesn't do anything exciting. And if you want to watch a movie about, I, I pointed this out to Andy after I watched it because I was like, I can't stand this movie. Uh, if you want to watch a movie about like 
immortal comic book characters like struggling with their own immortality through time like watch x-men origins wolverine it came out in 2009 and the ending was so bad marvel's basically retconned it but it's still better than this Um, (laughs) i was gonna say highlander but (laughs) this yeah sure like it's like that's what i mean like it's 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 an interesting premise on its face it's just good enough to get people to click on it and like that's what this feels like it's like a clickbait action film for something that could be better you know and and that that's not awesome um and i'm 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 bummed i'm so sour on this one because (laughs) it's probably not that bad but like oh my god just it it just the layers of awful to me that jump out like it it just it 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 makes the whole thing awful yeah an incredible zach rant thank you yeah it's too much trademark Um, that i'm gonna i'm gonna go get some water uh take a break i'll be back (laughs) no uh andy any other thoughts for recommendations i think we're ready (laughs) andy would you recommend the old guard uh with some caveats, uh, if you are a Netflix subscriber, if um, if you like Charlize Theron, if you're in looking for a lot of action and you haven't seen a billion other films on Netflix that are uh, full of mindless action, uh, sure. I I thought the premise was interesting. I, I thought the these uh, kind of the difficulties of immortality was by far the most interesting thing of the, of the film. It's too long, like everything from Netflix. Every Especially the, the uh, like Roger Ebert used to say, no no good movie is too long, no no bad movie is short enough. And I, f- I feel like Netflix would do better if all their mediocre films were just like 15, 20 minutes shorter. Um, so to me, it's solidly okay. If you're into Charlie Saren and these kinds of films, you might enjoy it. Uh, but if you, if you miss it, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go with a firm. No, hard no, um, hard no yeah. from Zach. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't watch this movie. I mean, it's, it's just like, it, it like I said, it, it's almost like a clickbait headline. Like it's Charlize Theron in an action movie and she's got an ax and she wears sunglasses and she can't die. Isn't that cool? And like, it just, if you're scrolling on Netflix, the only reason you're going to watch this is because Netflix is going to stick it in front of you and say it's the third most watched thing on the platform because it is like a year from now, nobody will be hunting this movie down. Nobody will 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 think I need to go watch that movie, The Old Guard, because it was really profound. Like it doesn't do anything outstanding, and 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 the stuff that does is going to be pushed to the back because it's not new and it's not hot, and and that's a shame because this movie doesn't do anything better than other films that have covered this stuff have done. It does it actually worse. Um, but this is this is the way Netflix does stuff, and this is what people watch. So. Uh, I would say if you want to watch a movie about immortals uh, struggling through time and and battling their demons or whatever in in a corporeal form, yeah, go go watch X Men, go yeah. watch Highlander. Like we'll put together a list. Yeah, hard pass on this one for me. Um, don't do it. And uh, with that, that's the old guard. So Andy, thank <laughs> you for letting me express myself. Yes. Sorry, it's been a while since I went over the over the deep end like that, but uh, it's good to get that out every once in a while. I think that's 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 encouraging. And with that, uh, we should move on to our next segment. Uh, Andy, you wanna you wanna introduce this one? I'm still cooling off. <laughs> it's time for the death of cinema. So this week we are talking once again about Christopher Nolan's Tenet, which this week it was revealed that it. It's going to get pushed again. However, this time we do not have a release date. And the reason is, is this is now going to be some sort of 
hybrid or what they're calling non-traditional release, which we are still waiting on details on, which uh, they've said that are is coming imminent. But what this looks is like is going to happen is they are going to release this overseas first, and then in some U.S. markets where things are safe. And basically what that means is not not New York, not L.A., maybe here in Texas, maybe in Dallas. Um, but basically they're not going to wait for the big uh, film centers to be open, the big metro areas. They're not. We've realized that we can't wait for like this is the day when it's safe to go. We can't go from zero to 100. We just have to see where is it safe to release films, where are some open markets, and we're going to release there. And then other people will catch up when they can. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about. It's it's a very bold move, um, but it seems like that's kind of what has to happen now. Um, I'm so disappointed in this news. I, I know you are too. Um, we 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 here on Offscript, if you haven't heard, are very much looking forward to this film. Um, we have seen the trailers probably too many times. I don't want to say we're riding the hype train, but like I'm I'm excited for another mind-bending, non-linear Christopher Nolan adventure film uh, and and going to see a couple of movies in IMAX recently uh, for Ninja's Lost Ark and the Dark Knight in the safest fashion possible, of course. And seeing this trailer on the IMAX screen got me so excited and, and so looking forward to this one. And it's, it's really a bummer that it's being pushed back again. I don't think it's a big surprise. We've talked about it in the past on the show. Um... As soon as as soon as California announced they were shutting down again, as soon as Governor Gavin Newsom over there said, "Hey, uh, we're gonna we're, we're gonna close everything down," that was pretty much it. That pretty much spelled curtains for this. And I think we talked about that last week. California is like twenty percent of the U.S. <laughs> film market, or something like. It's absurd how many people go see films out there because that's where they're made. It's Hollywood, for God's sake. Um, and, and when they said, hey, that's not going to happen, that that really put the kibosh on this coming out soon. Um, what do you think of this kind of international release first, Andy? You got any hot takes on that? Yeah, so there's some positives and negatives about this. Number one, first of all, we're just getting the movie out, which is if it comes out overseas, that means it'll eventually come out here. And from what I've read, they're looking for a possibly a late August release internationally and an early September release in the States. So it means we are getting closer to Tenet. The The big negatives are, of course, uh, things like spoilers, things like piracy. Um, you know, Christopher Nolan movies are known to have really incredible, very tightly held plot, plot and plot points. Um, so that's obviously a big risk that everything's going to get spoiled before you can go see it. Um, but also, the, the the other positive is that it can kind of generate more buzz. So let's say, you know, it comes out in Cleveland before it comes out to somewhere else. That will that can also generate some buzz by people who have seen it in, in the markets where it's open. So there's some good, there's some bad. Uh, Zach, what your thoughts? I all, mean, all bad. Right. <laughs> Andy, come on. Don't, spoiler alert, don't tell the people where I'm going. All right, just let, let's figure it out together. We'll find it along the way. Uh, first things first, uh, coming out in China is going to be a problem because China has a two-hour cap on films and Tenet is two hours and 30 minutes. So already you're, you've got a problem there. So I don't know what they're going to do about that. Um, and even then, it's not coming out everywhere in China. It's only coming out in some places because they have low-risk markets where they're saying theaters can open again, assuming they don't go back to closing. I think things are on the upswing over there. So that may not be so much of a concern, but... 
even then, I think aiming at the end of August might still be a challenge um, for Tenet, but but we'll see. I think, and I say this with as much care as I can, because I, I really do believe in Christopher Nolan's cinematic experience, uh, just like Spielberg. I think the best way to see his films are in a theater, preferably on IMAX. That is how he expresses himself in visual storytelling with a fra- IMAX frame and a big screen and like the loudspeakers. That is the way you're meant to see this film i think releasing it internationally and not putting it out on video on demand here in the states same day is a grave mistake i really do um and i know that means well you can't see it in theaters and maybe not right away you could still release it in theaters later like there's still an option for that i think there will still be demand for that especially when people who don't buy it on vod and will go inevitably go see it in a theater you can still do that but the rest of the risky run with putting this out internationally and not dropping it here at the same time, which is how all of Nolan's films have been released in the past, because this is how particular he is about spoilers and people ruining his experience. You are cracking that door wide open, not only for piracy, but for people who were trolls on the internet, man, (laughs) who were just going to get on Reddit or Twitter or Facebook or wherever and slip in tenant spoilers a lot like how I think they handled Star Wars Force Awakens. And I know this does not have the 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 legacy that Star Wars has, but man, like days before Star Wars came out, there were spoilers on the internet. Like I remember that being it like 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 twenty like forty eight hours before. Wait, what four chan figured out like what happened in Force Awakens and, and published it everywhere. It was ridiculous. Like you, you you had to go out of your way to not see that stuff, at least in my at least in my circles where I'm at on the internet. Yeah. Um, that, well, that I, could happen here. Like my experience could be totally trashed by some troll who paid nothing and read something on the internet, and I, I all my hype for Tenet deflates. Like I can't do that to myself. Well, and what I'll say to that: first of all, I fully expect for this film to be spoiled. But also, uh, I, what I always say is like I feel like being spoiled is almost a choice and also the a spoiler doesn't ruin the journey the film journey just because you learn a plot point what you what you do need to avoid is reading the whole like plot synopsis because that's eventually i mean i don't want things spoiled as much as the next person but um you know like for instance the force awakens was spoiled for me i think the day before that that han solo dies yeah but it was still a really great experience also him dying was really an obvious thing to, to happen and then and it wasn't even the biggest kind of reveal in in that film so um i i think we will i'm you know i'm probably gonna have to stop getting into comment sections in a number of places on the internet and just have some internet discipline um but i just accept that it that it's probably gonna happen but that it's not gonna spoil the overall experience when i finally get to see it on giant imax i mean i agree and I would still like to go see it in IMAX. Let's let's be clear. That will happen regardless of when this film comes out. At some point, it will be in an IMAX theater and I will go see it. Hell or high water. Um, ideally, you know, when I don't have to wear a face mask, but we'll see. Um, the other thing that, that really knocks me off this is the, the seeming lack of interest in video on demand. And that frustrates me because for a couple reasons. One... I think there's still plenty of a profit margin to be made by saying, hey, you got to pay 20 bucks to see this movie. And two, if you don't do that, you're only encouraging piracy because like, I dude, you can get a free trial of a VPN uh, for like nothing and you can immediately 
go download a torrent of pretty much any movie you want and and if you look in the right places on the internet that's possible and like i mean how how far are you from getting a copy of tenet if it comes out in china mm-hmm. i mean a hop skip and a jump away and maybe i don't know subs like maybe it won't be in english but like i'm just there there are way there are going to be ways to see this movie that require you to pay nothing and it's going to be hard when i really want to watch a movie to not do that um you know, and and I'm not saying I'm I'm gonna go start ripping off films. I, I think you should pay for a film when you can, uh, because you know that's how you support filmmaking. Um, and I do still want to see Tenet, but like, it just seems like a bad idea. I think all of Nolan's films have been released same day globally, always. Uh, at least as much as you can control that. I think it would be a mistake to do this differently. I'm not saying you need to hold back for America. I'm saying release internationally, <laughs> do a video on demand here, and maybe some theaters here. I mean, we're we're fortunate. We're we're in Dallas, Fort Worth, in Texas, right? We're right next to the headquarters of Cinemark, the second largest theater chain in the world. Like, there will probably be theaters here that run Tenet. There's already theaters here that are open. Like, we, you and I, will probably get to see it if it comes to America in theaters. But for everybody else, like. Dude, 20 bucks, and you can have this movie in, in, in your pocket. And that's, I guess, an issue with Warner Brothers, right? Because that's a whole thing with them. Something like that. I mean, I think it's actually probably easier to torrent once something does hit VOD, because then you can just screen record and... Yeah, right. That's true. So, I mean, it, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, uh, privacy-wise. Um, the other important thing to remember, though, is that they're very they're very much having to think out, outside of the box to think, how do we release in a semi-open market? Um and so what what I've read a lot is that this is going to be, this might be the new norm. They might set up a new paradigm of like, hey, because they might have to do this for other films. They might have to do this for a while where you are releasing internationally and then kind of what they, they, they used to call checkerboard release, um, which was what they did before the blockbuster kind of came is you would release, release like state by state when you had to actually drive the reels to, to the theater. Um, they might kind of come back to that where, you know, see what states or what metro areas are open. And and this is goes beyond 10. This might be what we see for a while. Yeah. And, and you're right. Like, this is not so much about one film. This is writing the playbook for films to come. I mean, we've talked about this before. Studio film distributors are going to have to jump on board at some point and say, hey, the movies are coming out. Right. And, and. Who was it? The, the CEO of AMC or somebody said recently, they said somebody's going to have to break. Somebody's going to have to be the breakout. Somebody's going to have to be the first film that puts puts the flag in the sand and says, hey, we're doing it. We're coming out. And then other other studios will hopefully follow and, and, and bring the movies along as well. We thought Tenet would be that film. It, it's been pushed back three times now. Now it's been pushed back indefinitely. But it kept just just bumping that back little by little. And now the front runner is Disney's Mulan, which is still scheduled to come out August twenty first. That has not been pushed back. Still potential. No way. Um, it's gonna. I, I think whenever they release whatever the strategy is gonna be, yeah. I think Mulan and everyone else is gonna gonna fall in line because what we've realized is that we cannot wait until every theater can be a hundred percent full. Otherwise, we're never gonna get there. You know, right. those balance sheets will stay empty. And I think the studios have realized anything that comes out now is gonna lose or not lose money, but not make as much as in a kind of a normal environment, but that's better than making zero. Yeah, that's true. And, and, you know, the smaller films will hide, I'm sure. Um, and, and the ones that are really spooked like, uh, the new 007 film, no time to die. I mean, that God, when's that coming out? 2022 now? No, yeah. That's um, still November release. 
hard to believe. I, I'm still waiting for them to be like, hey, we're just pushing it back to 2021. It's fine. Um, you know, it, films will fall in line, but somebody's got somebody's got to be the first to kind of sort of fall on the sword here. And Warner Brothers was looking like they were going to be that for a long time because they had the star power and the gusto and the Christopher Nolan they needed to really take a swing at that ball. And now we don't. And now we don't have that. And and it, it's going to be weird to see where we're headed next. Movie theaters will open eventually. Uh, people will start going back to movies eventually. Uh, but it's going to take time. And I hope they work out a strategy for Tenet um, that, you know, makes them a lot of money and, and makes it worth it. Um, either way, we'll see it at some point. So... That's my hot take on Tenet, I guess. Any other thoughts, Andy? Because right. I'm, I'm, I'm so well, other, other than we, you know, it's it's an unprecedented time, and it, it's going to take unprecedented measures to uh, modern problems require modern solutions yeah. uh, to kind of get through. And I mean, they have to think of. And again, you, you're in a, in a in a position where some markets are completely safe, some markets are kind of safe, some markets are not open at all. And mm-hmm. so, you know, what what do you do in this instance? Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Keep it here on Offscript for more. We're doing movie news every single week. So if you get the chance, subscribe and we'll tell you more about it. But before we get to the end of the show and our plugs and everything, we have one more film to watch. And I'm excited to talk about this one because I'd read about it before and I'd heard about it before, but I'd never actually seen it. And fortunately, it was on HBO Max. So we had a little watch party over at Andy's place and got to talk about it. Uh, I'm going to be giving the summary on this one, so please explain, please excuse, excuse me, my clumsiness. The movie is Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven. It was a matter of honor. They're paying a thousand dollars to whatever kills the two boys that cut up Delilah. In a time when lawmen were killers. So, Unforgiven is the story of William Money, a retired Old West gunslinger who's been working on the farm with his two kids after he had to bury his uh, former wife after she passed away of smallpox. He is a gunslinger, or at least retired, and he's been out of the game for a while, but one day a young man rides up to his farm, the Schofield Kid, as he calls himself, and tells him that he's got to come out and help him on one last job over in the town of Big Whiskey, where a young uh, uh, lady of the night, I would say, <laughs> was cut to ribbons uh, by, by a scoundrel, and, and there's a $500 reward in it for him. If he comes with and helps him take him down, uh, money reluctantly agrees played by Clint Eastwood. I should say reluctantly agrees before, uh, en- enlisting the help of his old sidekick, Ned Logan played by Morgan Freeman. Surprise to me. Uh, and, and the three of them ride into town to take on, uh, our, our, our antagonist who's cut up this young woman along with the sheriff of big whiskey played brilliantly by Gene Hackman. Um, three big stars. I did not expect. Uh, I only knew Clint Eastwood was in this film, so this was a surprise. This is, as I understand it, a classic Western film, and I am excited to talk about it. Andy, what did you think of Unforgiven? Um, I really love this film. This is one of my favorite Westerns of all time, and it's it's kind of credited as being the end of the the Western or kind of capping off the, the Western, which was hugely popular from about the 50s into the 80s and early 90s. Um, you get a classic story of, of you know, the, 
we the gunslinger who has to seek justice kind of outside the law but it subverts a number of of kind of tropes from from the western genre it's what we we know as kind of postmodern and what we're kind of starting to see in in the superhero genre genre now um but it's it's so good on so many levels uh the the acting the pacing the how, how it submerts subverts the mythology of the western gunslinger while also kind of reaffirming it um as we wrap up to the end uh great villains great heroes uh, there's just so much to talk about in in this movie yeah i i i agree there's a lot going on in it and i definitely want to jump into it before we get too far i want to talk about what, what do we mean when we say like a postmodern Western film? Because I think a lot of people who aren't familiar with film will be confused. What I mean when I say that is this is a film that is coming at the end of like the Western films proper, right? Westerns, spaghetti Westerns were a real big deal. And they started to taper off. And this film came out in 92 when Clint Eastwood was 60 something, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and he's an older guy and he's a director now. And, and this is his way of paying tribute to the films. He was a star, the film a star in the films that made him a star, the, the Westerns that came before it, it for, cause this does not feel in any way like a nineties film, uh, quite the opposite. This feels like an old Western movie, but with a modern touch, um, that kind of puts it outside its own decade in a really fascinating way. It's, it's it's smart and it's shot like a modern film almost with with modern lighting but it's got this it's just got these these tenements of of the old west the landscapes and and the 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 old the old sheriff and the guy who rides into town and the guns and the cowboy hats it's got everything that makes it look and feel like a western movie but by having this charm of modernity and that's what that means to be to be a postmodern western film um and it makes it stand out in a way that's unique, in a, in a way that's different that I haven't seen in a Western movie before. Even at looking at things that are more modern, like like uh, the remake to Three Ten to Yuma or, or or the Coen Brothers True Grit, doesn't doesn't quite have what this movie has going for it. And it's not just in the film grain. I realize if you're watching on Facebook, this trailer <laughs> looks very really, old. Really old, yeah. We watched it on HBO Max, and they actually have like a full HD restored version of it on there, and it looks great. It is a very good looking movie. We watched it on Andy's monster monstrous TV, uh, and it's a good time. So let's jump into it. Uh, let's start with the plot, right? Uh, our, yeah. Our, Yes. As, oh, well, go ahead. So, like I said, the, this movie it, it ups it kind of uh, upsets a number of conventions, and uh, one of the, the ways it does it is just kind of through its brutality. So it starts off with, uh, you know, the, this vicious attack by by this drunk guy uh, against one of the saloon workers, cuts up her face, and uh, this is what what starts the the bounty. And uh, when when we meet Clint Eastwood, he's not. He's the opposite of the typical gunslinger. First of all, he's older. Usually you would have, you know, the the chiseled jaw of a young man. But he's, you know, he's in his 60s. He's got a couple of kids. He's a pig farmer and not a very good one. You know, we, we, we see him like stumbling around in the mud. And, you know, when he finally, you know, at first he's reluctant to take on. And, and he has a legend surrounding him. You know, uh, the Schofield kid comes up to him and says, you know, you're, I heard that you were, you were the meanest baddest guy and you, you you know you don't lose your nerve and you can shoot and you know but he's just 
uh, Clint Eastwood said, oh, no, I'm not like that anymore. I haven't, you know, that was a long time ago. My wife cured me of, of all that. And, you know, we see he, he can't shoot anymore. He, you know, he, he, he can't uh, get on his horse. He falls off his horse. He spends a lot of time on the ground in this movie, which, uh, which was really making me, me chuckle because he, he just, like, falls down a lot. Like, he's, it's the exact opposite of, of like, the, the stoic, um, you know, unbending uh, gunslinger, and and you know he he requires the help of like we said Ned Logan played by brilliantly um, by Morgan Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, and like I said, he he comes into the town, and it, it's it's strange because the t- the town is it's it's you know ruled with an iron fist by um, Gene Hackman who plays Little Bill Daggett, and he's he's also a former kind of uh, gunman. Uh, of his own time but he's he's off building a like a shack uh, and not a real good a house but not a very good one um you know so there's all these these things that uh, that are upset but it the, but at its core it's still kind of the western trope of like uh a person having to seek justice outside of the law yeah um and and it, it when when you describe that there's definitely a couple things you say that sound like tropes right like especially the young kid riding to town and i heard you were the meanest baddest son of a gun nah kid that's not me i'm retired that totally is a trope now but like in 92 in the westerns like nobody was doing that 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 was pretty new i think and clint eastwood still has the the frame of a of a younger gunslinger, right? He's a tall, thin man. I mean, his silhouette looks just like he did in Good, Bad, and the Ugly. And he still has a bit of that, like, man with no name kind of thing going for him, especially in his persona. But he's old, and he's fragile, man. Like, he gets the hell beat out of him in this movie. Yeah. He's falling down. He's, he's sick pushed for half by. of it. Yeah, like, he, he is a vulnerable man, and he's also much more sensitive, right? He explains throughout the film that he is... Uh, a recovering alcoholic, uh, and that uh, through a lot of his past yeah, transgressions, I think, that he still wrestles with, these ghosts that haunt him to this day, he was drunk, and he was drinking, and he drank his sorrows away, and he was drinking whiskey. And this whole movie definitely doesn't do that because he's reminded of his wife, who, who you know, that was him turning over a new leaf and getting out of the game and being a better man. And he's been that way even after she passed on, and now he finds himself in this position again where he's got to... He's got to do the right thing, right? Because it feels like the right thing to do. And also, and I think this is most important because he needs the money because he can look at his kids in this hog farm he's running and understand, like, I, I got to do something here. This isn't going to work yeah. any longer. And he falls back on his old trends, right? Uh, he definitely stays away from the booze, but he gets out his guns and tries shooting him. He's a terrible shot and he can't get <laughs> on his horse. And he goes and finds Morgan Freeman and tries to convince him to come with. And even Morgan Freeman's like, I don't know, man, that that's okay. You know, maybe, maybe it's worth it. And he, they ride alongside this young kid who's a total, total hotshot, hothead, and, and thinks he's got the world figured out. And they've got this wisdom about him. Like, yeah, okay, kid. They, they, they True, play so brilliantly. <laughs> yeah, the three of them play so brilliantly against Gene Hackman. Yeah, as, as little Bill Daggett, the, the, the sheriff of uh, Big Whiskey, where they're at. And this the sheriff who is basically totally okay with bad things happening as long as they don't happen to him. Um, he's got this big sign outside the town that says no firearms, which is fine. But as soon as a woman gets her face cut up, he basically does nothing to the men who cut him up. He says, yeah, bring back a couple ponies and give them to the salon owner. You're good. And that's where our, that's, that's really where our primary conflict is because the, the ladies of the saloon band together and they raise a bounty and they say, Hey, we'll, we'll pay somebody a thousand dollars to off the two guys that, that did are responsible, right? Right. Which is how we get 
yeah. Schofield kid and, and all of them. The, the way this movie starts, like, I mean, that's the first scene is, yeah. is like this brutal attack. Like it, it hits the ground running and it instantly shows you what kind of movie we're in because, you know, in the typical Western or a film like this, you would have immediately have someone like stepping up to, to avenge the, these women's and avenge their honor or something like that. Um, and here the, the saloon owner is angry about his property. He says, this woman is my property and now she's cut up and now I can't, you know, she can't earn as much money as now. And so I, this needs to be made right. And so it becomes like a legal transaction that that gets the it, which is how they fix it they're like okay well i'll i'll bring these many horses because of this and it's obviously these so like these women are treated like cattle like property um it, and again it takes all the nobility and honor out of I- anything you might have thought about the old west yeah and and also it does a fantastic job of juxtaposing that with modern expectations especially in 2020 um the women in this film are treated terribly um they're called all kinds of names but at the same time all of the men in the film dance to their drum. Uh, they, they 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 sit in the saloon. It's it's white, and like I said, if we watch it, it's almost like their literal ivory tower. And they they are the ones pulling the strings for all of the men in the film. They're the ones with the bounty. They're the ones like the men all react to the women. So really, in a way, they have a lot of control, and and that's kind of a fascinating aspect of this. I was also surprised, besides what it said about gender and sexuality, what this movie says about race. Which is very little. Morgan Freeman is a black man in the 1860s. I expected some people to throw some words and like, <laughs> no, everybody's pretty cool. Like it's a pretty, it's a pretty safe script. And I, I kept thinking, here it comes. So a bad guy's going to say something they shouldn't say. Nope. Nope. Plays it, plays it very close to the chest. Uh, and I, I was really impressed with that um, because I think a more modern film would have, you know, gone, swung below the belt that way. And this one doesn't. I don't think um, there's definitely a little bit of imagery in here that's controversial, I think. But um, being a Western, that's part of what a Western movie is. I don't think it does anything particularly outside of the lines. What do you think in that way? Well, one of the things I, I kind of wanted to, to touch on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it does play that where I mean, there is a, a certain like a whipping scene, which is there is a, there is a scene with a whip, yeah. which is, <laughs> which is definitely meant to reference slavery, I think, um, purposefully. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I wanted to mention is, you know, William Money, he, he takes this bounty, takes on this job for the money, but it's, it's more than that because, you know, there are better ways to provide you for your family than, you know, risking your life, uh, for a bounty that you're probably maybe too old to get and collect and you you leave your children like fatherless. Um, it, it's also kind of about, he has this air of seeking redemption, um, because as much as he says, look, you know, I don't do those things anymore. Or that was a long time ago. They, you can tell they still haunt him. And there's kind of this thing of, about PTSD that these, these fighters have, you know, it, it wasn't like, oh, I, I shot these guys and moved on with my life. It's like, no, I still like, I still see that person's like head exploding when I shot him or I still am haunted by this image or that image or the sound. And, and again, this is what kind of, um, changes expectations is, is you have the the reality uh, of this violence you know there, there's a scene where um one person get gets shot instead of just you know falling over or, or whatever you, they sit there and bleed out and cry and you know ask for their mother and, and it's it's like it's it's terrible and, and then again it's it's the reality of, of what this violence is like it's not the glamorized version that the older westerns used to do yeah it's it doesn't just 
shoot people and move on um really it's 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 very patient with that stuff intentionally and i thought that played great against my expectations you know i by the end of this movie i was i was ready for some guns to go off i was like all right let's do it and one of the first people that actually gets shot you're right like is crawling around crying for their mom you're like oh no this isn't isn't what i want to see but that's part of the point right yeah that that's that's part of part of the reason they're doing that is to make you realize like the characters like hey these have this has much larger implications than just shooting the bad guy and going on to the next scene like this has weight and this matters and that stuff is really important especially in light of this character kind of a weird side character in this movie who's a who's a biographer named ww uh beauchamp uh played by saul rubinek he's a historian who rides around uh, with with uh, f- former outlaws or gunmen and basically writes their stories in these little like seven page pamphlets that they can sell and make a little money. That's his job. And he rides into town with a guy named English Bob, played by Richard Harris. Who, if you don't know who Richard Harris is and you have no idea what he's been in, uh, he was the f- Dumbledore, Dumbledore in the first couple of Harry yeah. Potter films. Yeah, uh, he's great in this movie. English Bob's fantastic. Uh, can you can you give a little I don't know what, what do you know about English Bob? Yeah, so, so uh, before I get in, into that, uh, one of the things that this movie plays with is myths, myths and legends, particularly the myth uh, of the gunslinger and our the audience's kind of fascination with the the western and the old west, but also just kind of myths uh, at large. And so English Bob rolls into town, and he is an Englishman and he he's on this train and all he's doing is talking trash. And he talks about, Oh, when I was, I was the, uh, basically he talks about, Oh, I used to be a gunslinger and now, you know, I'm retired now, but he, he, but he talks a good game. You know, that they're reading the newspaper and president Garfield has just been shot. And he was like, well, of course you would shoot the president who, you know, but you would never shoot royalty. He goes on this thing about how you would never shoot a King. You would be compelled to buy the majesty of like, um, so he talks a big game. Um, and he's the one that has W.W. Beauchamp following him, him around, who, who is kind of a stand-in for the audience, the person who wants to hear these, these stories and these details. Yeah. Um, and he, he rolls into the town, and, and one of the big things is you actually have to turn over your firearms. Um, he refuses to do so. He's like, no, like, whatever. Uh, this, the deputy goes and gets little Bill Daggett, <laughs> um, who, who then forces him to uh, give up that that firearm in a very embarrassing scene. And, and we see the difference between the guy who, who talks for a living and who was kind of there. And then someone like, uh, Gene Hackman's character, who was the real deal. Right. Um, and, and this, this, this biographer, WW, he kind of bounces around throughout the film, right? He comes into town with English Bob and then, uh, he kind of decides to stick around and hang out with little Bill Daggett for a while. Uh, you know, the sheriff played by Gene Hackman. And he hangs out with him for a while, and then eventually he kind of bounces to another cowboy. And and it's wonderful because as he goes, he discovers things about these stories he's already written. Little Bill Daggett tells tells WW, hey, that little book you wrote about uh, 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 English Bob, total malarkey, man. Like, I, I was there at that gunfight. That's not how that worked. Bob was a coward. Let me tell you what really happened. And, and WW rewrites his book. And then later, somebody, he finds out something about Little Bill Daggett. He rewrites his thing. And he, he does this it's this great metaphor for writing history, right? History is written by the victors. And like, really the stories you hear are only left by the people who survived. And like, regardless of the actual truth, who was in the right and who was in the wrong, whoever won the gunfight is the one who told the tale. And like, that's a really, a really noble thing to put in this film because it would have been easy to just leave something out like that. But he's this interesting little character that's kind of bouncing around in this movie. And if you pay attention, there's definitely a lesson to be learned. Um, We should talk about Gene Hackman, of course, played by 
uh, playing little Bill Daggett. He's 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 real good in this movie, man. Um, like like you pointed out, he's not a particularly imposing man. He doesn't he doesn't have a six pack and he doesn't have big big arms or anything. He doesn't have a big frame, but he's just stone cold, man. Stone cold. Uh, any 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 thoughts on that? Oh no! Did I lose you? Come on! Surely not. Oh, Andy! Oh, and Andy beepled up. I didn't know. Okay, there you are. You're back. Hold on. I see you down there. What's going on? There you are. You're here. Great. <laughs> Sorry about that. Can you hear me? I yeah, can hear I can you. hear you. Yes, I can you hear you. Uh, uh, sorry. sorry, I was just talking about Gene Hackman. Any thoughts on his performance? Oh, uh, in- incredible! And and what I like about this is that Gene Hackman is, uh, he's not. He's an imposing figure, and it, but at the same time, not like he's not a big like muscle bound guy. He's not um, like he doesn't yell. He's not angry. He's just so imposing, and it, it it's like you know it's like a war vet- veteran that that's seen a lot of action. He he doesn't need to he doesn't need to talk. He doesn't need to um, boast or or show off. He's just he acts when he needs to act, and he's so he's such a menace, and he's so imposing. He's not scared of of anything. There's a great scene. Um, with uh, with English Bob, where where they're kind of uh, going to do like a gunfight almost, and and they're you know kind of staring at each other, and and and, he, and English Bob just like is too he's too afraid to actually grab his gun because he knows he's just going to get shot, and it like the way that, that um, Gene Hackman is just not scared of anyone or anything, and it's just and he's he's brutally uh, sadistic. Like he beats a lot of people in, in this movie, um, but it's just he he's such a menacing figure without, like I said, having like the physical stature to do so. But it's but it's still like that. Yeah, and 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 that carries throughout the whole film, especially when we get to the end of the film, and of course, Clint Eastwood needs to have some kind of showdown with somebody, uh, and and Gene Hackman. Uh, proves to be kind of that antagonist for him because of course at the beginning of the film Gene Hackman is the one who basically lets these guys go who cut up this woman and he's the sheriff of the town and his his ruling is ah eh, it's it's pretty much okay uh, she's just a woman it's fine you know she's property um, and 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 obviously William Money feels differently he has, he's got a wife he's he's in another camp and and they've got a wonderful a wonderful denouement showdown at the end of the film because it's not particularly flashy. Uh, and it's not, you know, it's not some big, bold shootout that you'd expect from a Western. It's just kind of this ugly scene and then it's over. Um, and it's it's really charming in that way because it's not what you expect, right? It plays against those expectations to say, hey, this stuff's ugly. Like this, this violence is not good and it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make good things, right? Nothing good comes of this. Um, nobody really feels better at the end of the film. You don't even get a whole lot of like actual conclusion uh, it kind of right. just ends, which was a bit of a surprise for me, at least. Um, but overall, it, it it it's it's shot so well, and the music's fantastic, and the characters are good, and the plot's great, and it just feels really profound for being this little western movie uh, directed by Clint Eastwood. Right, and and so while while he William Money is you know pretty incompetent through most of the film, eventually we do see him reaffirm why he is the legend that he is or why he has the reputation that that he does um so at the same time while the film is subverting a lot of expectations it, it also reaffirms and we see this very inf- very influential thing happen in much later films uh, specifically logan uh for the comic book universe and also the last jedi which i which i think is very much inspired by this and i know a lot of people don't like but i 
love that it, it's doing a similar thing in that film where Luke Skywalker is kind of a washed up person who doesn't who has grown beyond the legend and and then but also reaffirms it uh, by the end. It's interesting what you said about violence. I think violence is definitely a theme in this film, and it's interesting because I, I was watching a lot of videos, reading a lot about it, and I've heard conflicting uh, interpretations of it. Some people think that the uh, or have said that the violence in the film proves that at the end of the day, maybe you do need to get violent sometimes. And then other people say the, the, the violence actually shows that nothing, it accomplishes nothing by the end, end of it. Right. So it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think that's what really great films do is they kind of will give you polarizing, uh, influences, um, that we see, uh, my jury's still out. I'm going to have to continue to think about it. But but the violence and need for violence is definitely, you know, it's, it's a big theme in the film. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. It's definitely worth a rewatch at some point. I'd never seen it before, like I said. It, it definitely it definitely exceeded my expectations. I, I see why it was such a big deal. I remember reading about this in, like, film school. People saying, that, you know, the, the end of the Western as a genre and the end and where Western really died. And this one was where a lot of people pointed and said, this was one of the last great ones that really had something to say um, and did a great job of, of explaining what the medium is and how it works from somebody who was so sincere about it and had so much of their career built around it. Um, and Clint Eastwood, and in a lot of ways, this is his love letter to Westerns and it shows it really does. And um, there's a lot of love in this film, uh, even though it's an incredibly violent, harsh, harsh movie. Um, I could talk about the cinematography, but there, there's really not a whole lot to say. There's some charming, deep focus stuff that, that he does in this. Otherwise, it's a whole lot of landscapes and wise, and it looks really good. It's uh, really dark inside. Yes, it is a very dark movie. Uh, it is, you know, the, the, the sets look great. The music's good. It feels like a Western, I think. It, it checks those boxes. Any thoughts on any of that? Um, yeah, only that, like I said, it's very different. Um, from a lot of westerns and again it's subverting the genre in a lot of really interesting ways and has and has a lot to say like i said about things like violence and things like myth, myths and legends um for sure like i said i i i really appreciate the character of ww beauchamp of this person who's just so intrigued with the gunfighter myth and lifestyle and you know wants to get all the details and like i said i think he's a stand-in for the for the audience because we love we love those things we love the stories of, of how it was but we we don't want to we don't want want to know about the reality right history is written by the victors and uh you know that's typically what westerns are written about right victors so andy would you recommend unforgiven yeah absolutely it's it's a classic movie classic western really capped off that genre has been highly influential in into modern films like i said uh logan the last jedi i'm sure there's uh, lots of others um it is very violent it, it is about the violence of the old, old west um so just content warning there yeah, I'd recommend it as well. Two, two big thumbs up. I, I know we talk a lot about how it, its themes are important and how there's a lot going on, but don't if you're not into that side of it, don't let that knock you off. This is still a Clint Eastwood Western film, right? So Clint Eastwood shooting a Magnum, and that's a good time, even if we're, we're, we're over-talking the philosophy a little bit, and I don't think we are, because it's totally worth watching for that. But it's also great performances from three fantastic actors. Uh, well, four, I should say. Richard Harris is really good in this movie. Um it's a lot of fun. Two thumbs way up, man. It's on HBO Max. Please go check out Unforgiven. It's totally worth your time. And with that, we should wrap the show. Andy, what are we watching next week? 
we're actually taking <laughs> taking a break next week. Yes! Uh, Zach and I are both uh, doing some traveling. Uh, so we're going to be off for a couple of weeks. And also, there's nothing really coming out. Yes, I think we're going to be off for two weeks. Uh, I'd say just one, but I'm going to a part of the country where there are no theaters open. And I don't have internet, which is crazy. Uh, just to unplug for a little while. So uh, probably no movies because I don't think I'll have anything to watch. But we might cook up something two weeks from now. We'll see. But we'll definitely be back in a few weeks. So stay tuned. Uh, if you want to keep up with what we're doing, what we're watching, what's going on, follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash review. You can follow us on Instagram or on Twitter. And we post our full episodes on YouTube as well with the video in case you missed it. Uh, you can subscribe to the show, of course, in any audio form to listen in your car or while you're, you know, jogging or, you know, any of those active things that are exciting. And if you want to write into the show and tell us what you thought of these films, movies we should watch, recommendations, complaints, concerns, compliments, uh, mail at offscriptfilmreview.com is the place to email us and send us correspondence. We'll read it on the show. Send us whatever you want. Seriously, we'll read it on the show. Uh, mail at, or mail at Offscript Film Review is our email. Offscriptfilmreview.com is our website where you can also find archives of the show along with interviews Andy is doing to promote the show and talk to people around the country about That's right. uh, what's going on. Real quick, because we didn't actually talk about that, and I should have. You did one recently. Do you want to give people a, a bit of a soundbite? Uh, yes, I did an in- interview uh, yesterday, and uh, it, it was actually what we talked about during our Death of Cinema segment. It was about uh, the delay of Tenement, of tenement, tenet, and uh, what this new release strategy is going to be. Yeah, and I think, I don't know if you have it on the website yet, but it's definitely around, so we'll, we're going to post it at some point. But yeah, come check out what we're doing over there, get involved with the show, and thank you, of course, for listening. Because the show wouldn't be possible without you. I mean, it might. We, we like movies and we like talking about them. But, you know, we enjoy that people listen to it, too. So, thanks. Uh, and with that being said, from all of us off script, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.